global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Stocks are edging higher. We've got 13 minutes to go ahead of the close. The Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, all advancing S&P up 8 to 2179, a gain of four-tenths of 1%. Russian President Vladimir Putin sat down for a rare and exclusive interview with Bloomberg Editor-in-Chief John Micklethwaite. He did speak through an interpreter, took on a number of topics, including politics, national security, and also they talked about oil. It wasn't us who rejected the idea of freezing output levels. It was our Saudi partners who at the last moment changed their view and decided to take a pause in taking this decision. But I want to repeat, our position hasn't changed, and if Prince Salman and I speak about this, then I shall, of course, put forward our position again. And right now we do have West Texas Intermediate Crude up by 2.5%. Gold up 9 tenths of 1%. Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Day two, live at the U.S. Tennis Open 2016. We're at Flushing Meadows, Corona Park's queen. We've had a terrific day here so far. I know he would love to be here with me because he loves sports of all kinds. Maybe next year we'll get Matt Maley from Boston down to New York City to see some tennis and talk about the markets, which is what he's here to do with us today. Matt Maley, of course, you know him well listening to Bloomberg Radio. He's equity strategist at Miller Tayback. So, Matt, uh, welcome to the show, as always. Well, thank you. I do need to know, though, right away, who was the... Uh you know, some of the tennis people you've been playing with, uh, or talking with, uh, because I do know that uh, you are like the good luck person for anybody. <laughs> I, I mean, way back I remember when, when, when Auburn beat Alabama on a missed field goal. I, you, were, you were there like a few days beforehand, and ever since then, every time you go to a sports outing event, anybody you meet with it, it has, has, it wins. It wins, easy, it wins in, a, in a big way. So uh, we've got to keep a close eye on who you're From, uh, from your to. mouth to all the tennis stars' ears. Actually, we've had a lot of interesting people. People, and we love to cover the business aspect of this. But we did speak to Alan Kruger, who is the former head of the Council of Economic Advisors, a leading U.S. labor market expert about the jobs report and about tennis. But Alan said the reports, you know, the economy's chugging along okay. It's a long expansion. It, you know, it's, it's, it's looking pretty good. It does probably set the Fed up for an interest rate increase, et cetera, you know, maybe by the end of the year. Uh, what do you think about that in the context of what it means for stocks? The stocks did reasonably well today. A nice little game. Yeah, it did. It, 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 it's it's a little. I mean, I must admit, I really I really thought that uh, when the when the number first came out, I thought that the, the stocks would rally a little bit more than they did. But it's still a nice gain, as you say. But the one thing to note is that is that both the uh, the bond market, the treasury market, uh, and the dollar. Uh, you know, rates moved up, and the dollar moved up by the end of the day after initially going down in both cases. So they seem to think that the uh, September rate hike is, is still on, on, on the table. So we'll just have to see uh, what happens, because we do get some uh, Fed speak next week, and I'm sure they'll want to uh, uh, fine-tune a little bit what has been said recently by uh, by uh, uh, Chair uh, Fed Chair Yellen and, and Vice Chair uh, Fisher. Uh, so I'll be watching that very closely. Sure. As for what it, what it means for stocks, uh, you know, if, if the market's chugging along and we do get higher rates, I, I do worry that the That'll be a a bit of a headwind for stocks. Well, thank you, because so many people say, oh, what difference would one quarter point rate hike? No big deal. But I don't know if they understand how markets think and work to say that one rate hike wouldn't make any difference. Frequently, markets say that's it. They're not just going to do one. They're going to keep hiking interest rates. 
Exactly. And, and the other half of that, of course, is that um, it's not just, I mean, people will say, well, it won't have a big impact on the economy. Some people disagree with that. But even if you do agree with that, we do have to note that you look at margin debt on the New York Stock Exchange is near record highs. And uh, like we saw with, uh, uh, you know, when they had the first rate hike, the models for some of these leveraged investors, when you see you know, the cost of carrying all that leverage, all that margin, uh, will move up. So they will, their models will tell them, geez, you've got to unwind some of that leverage. And, and that will cause uh, so a bit of artificial selling. Okay. And, and that can weigh on the markets more than I think most people realize. So uh, a two-part question, I guess. Uh, number one, is this it for the stock market in 2016? you got to look to next year to see more gains. And, and what is your strategy in the midst of all this, you know, second-guessing the Fed, waiting for earnings, which we just finished a season, they won't be here for a while. What do you do now? Well, I think that you, 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 I think you have to play it on, on the defensive side. However, having said that, uh, you have to be careful in which defensive groups you go into because, you know, you look at the utility stocks, which has been a great, great group this year and something we were very uh, positive on, you know, at the very beginning of the year and we were early on it. But now you've gotten uh, to levels where, the, you know, they've gotten extended on a valuation basis. So we've got to be careful there. So I really just think actually, uh, you know, uh, picking your spots, looking at uh, uh, even taking you know, a few chips off the table and adding to cash. I know it doesn't uh, get you a whole lot right now or really anything. Um, but, uh, you know, nobody ever lost money taking profits. And you look for opportunities uh, as, you know, if, if and when we do get a decline in the, in the, in the usual volatile fall months. All right. Matt Mayo, you have a great three-day weekend. You too. And uh, let us know what your schedule is about uh, college football this year. We all need to know it. Okay, Matt Maley, thank you so very much. Joining us from Miller-Tabak, uh, where he's equity strategist in Boston. Now we want to turn our attention to Louisiana. As a matter of fact, yesterday we were speaking with John Mousseau from Cumberland Advisors, another tennis fan who covers the municipal bond market, comes out every year. When I asked him about the big risk, one of the big risks to munis, he said, well, we're really concerned about storms in the Gulf, the rebuilding Louisiana, how that has hit people and what it could mean for all those communities down there. Uh, and as a matter of fact, on that note, we want to bring in someone who knows all about this and how difficult it is and what's being done to help. Brad Kiesterman, he's Vice President for Disaster Operations and Logistics at the American Red Cross National Headquarters. So, Brad, let's get right into this. How bad is the situation in Louisiana? I'd say this is the worst natural disaster in the United States since Hurricane Sandy a few years ago, uh, which is not to say that it is uh, comparable to Sandy, although everyone will, will I think, make comparisons. Uh, but the, the you know, over six trillion gallons of water fell in Louisiana over the 48-hour period. Um, there's over 164,000 structures that have been damaged by the flooding. That's twice the number of structures that are in Manhattan. So just to give people a sense of the magnitude of the damage, we're three weeks into this, and we still had nearly 1,500 people in, in 11 shelters last night, which is not typically what you see in, in any disaster. So a very, very significant event, tragic for so many people, and most people don't have flood insurance. They did not live in a floodplain. I just want to stress this because I think sometimes people don't realize this is this is like a even not, maybe it's not even a once in a thousand year event for this region. These people were not negligent or careless. They just got hit by something absolutely unexpectedly devastating. That's exactly right. That the vast majority of people who were impacted by the storm, and, and the storm is very much like a hurricane, except it wasn't. 
but it, it sat on top of Louisiana. It was a tropical a tropical system, and it, and it caused that damage. Most of these people did not live in a floodplain. They would not have been required to get flood insurance as a condition of their mortgage. Uh, and so it, it, it really is devastating for them, and there's just a limit to, to what's going to be available to help them rebuild because, as you know, you know, most insurance, home and homeowners insurance doesn't cover that. Uh, the federal uh, the federal programs, while they're very generous, certainly aren't going to pay to rebuild an entire home. So it's, uh, it's going to be a very challenging recovery for many, many people. And now, uh, uh, just to keep you at the Red Cross very busy and to, to, to keep our minds open for other people in this country who are facing storms and hurricanes, uh, you're looking at Florida, you're looking at Hawaii. We are. Uh, Hermine, uh, Hurricane Hermine passed over Florida uh, early this morning, and uh, we had about uh, 500 people and about 50 shelters in Florida and Georgia overnight. The storm is uh, now passing through Georgia and up across the Carolinas. It's supposed to go sit offshore, uh, and I think it's going to cause uh, tropical winds and rains for uh, much of the mid-Atlantic into early next week, and we're still concerned uh, that it may uh, re-intensify into a hurricane and threaten the Northeast, so we're doing our, our planning for that. Uh, Hurricane Lester, meanwhile, out in the Pacific, uh, about uh, 300 miles off the coast of Hawaii right now, uh, likely will begin impacts here in the next few hours and into tomorrow. Fortunately, that track is, is edging a little bit to the north of the islands, but we still expect at least tropical force winds uh, on Oahu and Maui. We've got about 80 people out there providing shelter, feeding, and uh, bulk relief supplies today. Uh, you know, I'm down in Louisiana, about 2,000 people, uh, and working the uh, Florida-Georgia line right now, uh, about 300 people. So it's been a very intense, uh, very intense Friday and a very intense three weeks. So what's the number one thing you have learned now addressing uh, various kinds of floods, certainly hurricane causes them, what happened in Louisiana? What's What has the big realization been for the American Red Cross? Well, I think the, the most the biggest realization is about readiness and about our relationships with local and state emergency managers and with our partners in the local area. Those relationships are absolutely critical. The one thing you cannot get back in a disaster, especially flood, is time. So time is of the essence, and, and our collective ability to be prepared, to respond, to open shelters, to begin feeding, to do damage assessments, the speed at which that is done often determines the caliber of, uh, of, the, uh, of the recovery and the response. Okay. And so that's probably my top lesson is those relationships and the need for speed. All right. So, Brad, uh, these kinds of operations are very expensive. Uh, what have you raised? What, do, what can people do now to help you do what must be done? So I think uh, we certainly could use uh, uh, donations of funds, uh, generosity, and philanthropy. Much appreciated. Uh, right now we've raised about $17.4 million. Uh, designated just for Louisiana, but our costs will be over twice that based on what we're projecting right now with these uh, literally tens of thousands of shelter stays and meals uh, and uh, and all of the services and, and, uh, and staff required to provide them. So uh, donations, folks can do that by going to uh, call 1-800-RED-CROSS. They can do that by going to redcross.org and making a donation there. We also need volunteers. We need volunteers in Louisiana, volunteers uh, in Florida, and I'm sure this week in the Mid-Atlantic. And people can volunteer from home. We do have things that you can do from your home, okay. uh, virtual support and virtual casework. And so if you want to volunteer, uh, go to the redcross.org website, call your local Red Cross chapter. We can really, really use you. Brad Kieserman, thank you so very much. Something very important to ponder as we enjoy the tennis at the U.S. Open and think of our fellow Americans who need help. I'm Kathleen Hayes, and this is Bloomberg.